Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Father's Day, and I get this moment, it's my dad, yeah, my dad's here. And uh, I, I love to just honor my dad. He's great. He's been such a source of strength and support for, for Beck and myself. Uh, and they've really, uh, my parents have really set us up. And so honor where honor is due. Dad is amazing. Um, but for every dad out there, you have got a serious job, isn't it? I don't really uh, know much about it, biologically speaking, but I've done a whole lot of research this week, and it's really quite interesting. Do you know that men's bodies actually change uh, when their wives are pregnant? I'm not talking about sympathetic eating and sympathetic weight. We all know that that is true, and that's part of it. Um, some wives are nudging their husbands and saying, you remember that time when you put on 10 kilos when I put on 8? And... Um, I'm not talking about that, but it's really interesting. I found it fascinating. Men's testosterone drops when their wives are pregnant. And another um, thing goes up. I can't remember it. I didn't put it in my notes, but scientists are baffled by it. It's like, why would a men's testosterone? Testosterone is the hormone that makes men feel manly and and competitive and and try to take over the world. Um, We know Donald Trump has lots of testosterone. And that is one such situation. But, but men's testosterone drops during pregnancy, and scientists have got no idea why. But they put forward that it's because they're trying, uh, our bodies are trying to tell you, you need to get into this fathering mode. It's no longer time for competition. It's time for you to settle. It's time for you to have a, a child. And there's some other changes, biologically speaking, fascinating stuff. Uh, and so I, I do actually want to talk about fatherhood. Over the last couple of years, it's not a topic that I particularly felt... Um, excited about as a preacher because I'm not a biological dad and so I was like will anyone want to listen to this guy talk about fathering when he's got no kids but God has revealed to me that fatherhood is not so much a biological experience even though that's a big part of it is actually a heart it's something it's, it's a mantle it's something that that any man uh, in the right space, in the right time, with the right anointing of God, you can actually be a dad. And, um, and it's something that God has been uh, unpacking for me. And, and, and so I started research until I got really excited. I'm really excited to share about fatherhood today. And a big part of it is because science is showing us how important fathers are. Uh, I went through a whole bunch of research, and to condense it, this is what happens. Studies show time and time again that a father's presence is so important to a child. A child's self-concept, as in their sense of who they are, their identity, their behavioral issues, mental health, are often correlated to a father's presence in their life. But this is the fascinating thing to me. This is the crazy thing. This correlation is even stronger than race and poverty. Did you know that? I think for us, many of us understand that when poverty and, uh, and for some ethnicities where they are oppressed in certain cultures, you can understand that their self-worth, that their identity, that their mental health, all of those things are going to be severely impacted. But do you know that you can predict a child's uh, health overall uh, with more consistency uh, when you look at whether a father was in their life rather than simply their financial situation or simply their race. How crazy is that? 
And I, I really like this one. In a 26-year-long study, researchers found that the number one factor in developing empathy in children was a father's involvement. I think they did this because they were seeing that a trend that empathy in our culture is dropping. Empathy is this ability to connect with people, to, to sense where they are at, to be able to uh, uh, basically have human relationships. <laughs> That's what empathy does for us. And, and, re, uh, and stats have shown that empathy is really dropped. And they did a study to see how to build empathy. And basically it comes down to this. Fathers spending regular time alone with their children translates to children who become compassionate adults. A father has a significant role in the development of a child. And yet dads don't get into the same parental bracket as mums. And this uh, particular researcher, I want to quote because it's a really interesting quote. I think I've got it on the screens, but it, uh, it, it reads like this. There is still a wide gap between research results and the true acceptance of the value of fathers with many fathers expressing the feeling that they continue to be second-class citizens in the world of their children. Books, magazines, and morning television shows are filled with information about and for mothers and mothering. How many comparable ones have you seen about fathers? It's only recently that domestic courts, recognizing the research on parenting and fathers, have moved to greater equal child custody decrees. Fathers who want to become even more actively involved in their children's lives are often hit uh, with barriers from employers, the media, and even their wives who may feel threatened by a child calling for daddy instead of mummy. We'll know we've reached equal parity when Father's Day becomes as well celebrated as Mother's Day. For all the feminists out there, I don't know who you are. I pray I never meet you. I'm joking. Feminism is important because feminism is about equality. Feminism is about seeing the uh, injustices, the, the unfairness in our society between genders and trying to bring equality. Well, this is another thing that feminists should fight for, for fathers to be seen as equally important as mothers in our society. Another researcher, I think this is more of an American uh, thing, but uh, another researcher said, uh, it's, it's no wonder uh, that most of the parental slips from schools are written in pink, on pink papers. I don't know, is that the same here? No one knows. <laughs> Moving swiftly along. I just thought it was a cool little thought. I would love to go to the news agency and you have fatherhood magazines there. And to encourage dads, how do, you, how do you engage? How do you become involved with your children? Wouldn't it be cool if morning television interviews uh, uh, people who have been involved in trying to raise the profile and raise their, their training and equipping for dads? Wouldn't that be cool? But until that day happens, maybe we will always see moms as more important. And what I'm hoping to do today is, is not to put down anyone else, but to elevate into the rightful place who fathers are. And I can understand that there might be some people here who didn't have a father, or maybe you did have a father, but you didn't have a great father. Someone who abused you, maybe, or someone who did not really understand how to affirm and to build you up. And I understand that that is a painful thing for you, and I want to acknowledge that. But why we need to talk about it as a church is because Lift Church is going to be a place where people can come in and experience being fathered experience family. The Bible says that God puts the lonely in families. Where do those families come from? They're called the local church, where people can come alongside 
people who haven't experienced a great upbringing for whatever reason, and things do happen, and, and we are all normal human beings, and, and we don't always get it right, but what we need to do is that we need to change culture from here and to start to talk about fatherhood in a way that builds our men up so that they can actually carry out the function that God has called them to. As we spoke about, there was, there's, there's biological changes for a man when, when his wife is pregnant. And I think that it just shows that God is saying, this is important, guys. We need to get involved. And that is what uh, I found through a research that, that people who, uh, sorry, people who have dads who are not involved but are present end up worse off, generally speaking, in research than someone who did not have a dad. You could be in your house, dad, and you could be making worse of an impact than someone who doesn't have a dad. This is what the research is saying. This is not my heart. I believe that we can buck the trend. I believe that we can change things around. I believe that if you did not experience a great uh, upbringing, I believe that in God's family, you will receive that. And we're going to be talking a little bit about what dads are meant to be doing because I believe it's so important for us to get this right. The Bible gives us a really sad account of a man who failed as a dad. And what makes it even more sad is this character is widely uh, spoken of in really great terms. He was an amazing man. He was considered a man after God's own heart. And this man is King David. King David, he, he, he wrote most of the Psalms. He was a man who worshipped God. He was a man who trusted God. He was a man who even in the worst of situations continued to trust God. He was a man who would not even kill uh, uh, the man who was seeking his life. This was a great person, but a terrible father. An absolutely shocking father. I want to read to you uh, one thing that the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 1 verse 5 to 6. It's uh, 1 1 Kings 1, 5 to 6, it says, Now Adonijah, one of David's sons, whose mother was Haggith. Imagine having a name Haggith. Haggith! Oh my gosh. What a terrible name. Anyone want to name their kid Haggith? What were you shortening it to, Hag? Anyway, sorry. It's Father's Day. We need to have a laugh every now and then. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. And there was this, there's this line, David had never rebuked and had never asked. In other words, David was uninvolved in his son's life. And the sad thing about this is that Absalom is mentioned, and Absalom is dead by this time. Why? Because Absalom tried to take David's throne. So David's first son decides at some point, my dad has had a good run at being king, it's now my turn. And so much so that he chases David out of the palace and David has to act as though he is insane, crazy to escape from his son who is trying to kill him. Now that all happened, right? And now second son went, first son failed. Now it's my turn to have a shot at my dad. 
there is something seriously wrong about this family. And there was another incident that the Bible tells us about where one of, uh, now this is, if you are young, if you've got young ears, close your ears because this is messed up. One of David's sons try, uh, raped his stepsister. Seriously. If you've got two sons who tried to take your throne and kill you, and another son who rapes his stepsister, you've got a messed up family. Agree? Now many of us don't even have three kids, so... David has many more sons and a lot more issues than what I have already pointed out. But all in that time, David never rebuked Adonijah. But I'm wondering if he even had any conversations with any of his sons, any of his daughters. I'm wondering whether David was involved. And that's what I want to talk about today. We need dads who are, if there's nothing else you take away, take away these two words. We need to have dads who are engaged and demonstrative. This is coming from the research. Dads who are engaged and demonstrative are the ones who build healthy children. And, and David was uninvolved to the point where these sons were forming their identity without him. And so they saw what they wanted, they went after what they wanted, and they caused a whole heck of trouble. Now some people would then point out to Solomon, who was also David's son, and say, look at how Solomon turned out. Isn't it like maybe David wasn't as bad as you're trying to make it out to be? Now, Solomon was an interesting case because um, he asked God for wisdom. And at some point in his life, and I would, I would let me just take a moment to say, uh, for, for you moms who do not have dads to be alongside you, I think the start of Solomon's life shows us something really positive. I believe that it is his mom, Bathsheba, who actually helped Solomon have a relationship with God so that he had an invitation from God into a whole new life, a life of wisdom. And that's amazing. So moms, you play an equally important part. But because David was not involved in Solomon's life, and the only conversation we see in the Bible between David and Solomon was at David's deathbed. He was about to die. And basically, you can read this for yourself in two Kings, uh, sorry, 1 Kings uh, chapter 2. We don't have time this morning, but basically David said, my time is up. And he says this, Solomon, you need to act like a man. You need to follow God and you need to act like a man. And then he goes on to say, and you need to deal with the stuff that I couldn't deal with. This is the only conversation that we read about between a king and his son. Be a man. Do the things that I couldn't do. Messed up. I, I couldn't deal with that person, so make sure you kill him. This is literally in the Bible. Whack stuff. That's, that's not the way. If you read that chapter, that's not like, oh, I think I'm going to do fatherhood. No, please, don't. And... Um, I want to point out something really interesting about Solomon that shows me that there was a real deficit in his life. Solomon, who was uh, seen to be one of the wisest men, if not the wisest men in the Bible, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a, quite a difficult book because it's quite depressed. When you read it, please read it when you're not feeling terrible about yourself. Read it when you're doing quite well and then you might become depressed and then maybe read some Psalms and you'll be better. But um, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is basically a whole book about searching for the meaning of life. And it details, and Solomon wrote this, it details different things that Solomon tried in order to find meaning for himself. He tried working hard, 
good stuff. He tried, um, uh, he, he tried to have more power. He tried to have more authority. He tried having lots of sex, lots of parties, lots of alcohol, just enjoying himself. And at the end of the day, he said all of these things are meaningless. He concludes that following God is the best. So he kind of gets there. But there was one thing that got pointed out in terms of what happened in his life, and, and, and that is Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines, a thousand women. Let that sink in. This was a man who was trying to find meaning in life, right? And he tries to have a harem of a thousand women, and he found no meaning in that space. I know that in our culture, there are lots of people that are trying to find meaning in life. I don't think many men have managed to get to a thousand women. And only after getting to a thousand women conclude, oh wow, that wasn't the way to go. This was one sick man. I don't mean sick in, well, I probably mean sick in a depraved way, but I mean sick in his soul. He was searching so desperately for something and I want to put forward to you what I think was the cause of that. And I want to read to you a quote from a researcher who penned an article called Emotional Hunger Versus Love. And he writes this, It, being emotional hunger, is a primitive condition of pain and longing which people often act out in a desperate attempt to fill a void or emptiness. This emptiness is related to the pain of aloneness and separateness and can never realistically be fully satisfied in an adult relationship. Adult relationship in this context is talking about a romantic marriage or, 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 or some kind of romantic relationship. Yet people refuse to bear their pain and to face the futility of gratifying these primitive needs and dependency. They deny the fact of their own ultimate death and do everything in their power to create an illusion that they are connected to other persons. This fantasy of belonging to another person allays the anxiety about death and gives people a sense of immortality. Hunger is a powerful emotion which is both exploitive and destructive to others when it is acted out. People identify this feeling with love and mistakenly associate these longings with genuine affection. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is a very sobering thought, and this is my opinion, this is my take on what was going on. The deep hunger that Solomon had that drove him to try to find meaning and purpose and connectedness in his life came because when he was young, he never thought he belonged. He always felt separate. In fact, when you look at how he came into the world, he came in through uh, an unlawful and an adulterous relationship between King David and his mom. And I don't know if King David ever recognized that that space needed to be filled. That deep aloneness and separateness that this researcher talked about created an emotional hunger. And the crazy thing about emotional hunger is that it drives us toward connectedness. It drives us towards relationship. But it's, 
It makes it impossible for you to love. Why? Because hunger takes while love gives. Hunger always takes while love gives. But the crazy thing, right, is that we have been created with that kind of hunger. And that kind of hunger is not fulfilled in a romantic relationship, but it's fulfilled through a father's love. Man, you are created to fill that emotional hunger in your child. That is how we have been created. We have been created to be able to take the hunger of another human being who says, I need to know that I am safe. I need to know that there is a place that I am affirmed. I need to know that there's a place that I belong. And dads, you need to fill that space. If not, what happens is your child will try to find a place of belonging in a place that is dangerous, in a place that will never fulfill. And I believe that's why God calls himself Father in the Word, is because he can take all of our hunger. He can take every desire that we have, and he can still fulfill it. And that is how he created us as earthly dads to mirror what is happening in our spiritual relationship with him. Why we need engaged and demonstrative dads is because there's a whole generation of young people out there who are emotionally starved. I heard this thing yesterday and I was like, uh, a person was talking about the greatest challenge of millennials and he said one of the greatest challenge of millennials is that they are looking for a place to belong. And so they, they become the stars of their own reality TV on Instagram and Snapchat. And look at my story and what's happening in my life because I'm, the now, I'm now the new desperate housewife of Perth. And, and, and they're saying, look at me, look at me. Why? Because if you don't look at me, I don't know if I exist. I don't know if I have value. I am gauging my identity based on the likes that I have on social media because I don't have someone who told me that I belong told me that I am valuable and told me that I've got worth. How crazy is our world? It is whack. And let me tell you, I believe that fatherhood is not about a biological fatherhood. It is about a heart where we need men in the church to rise up, to be able to see when a person is in a place of emotional hunger and say, I want to be a safe place for you. I am able to in this time, take some of that hunger and love and be able to pour in and to say you are valuable. This is something that we need to do today. Our culture doesn't understand this. Researchers are starting to see it, but it hasn't filtered into our culture. David did not set up Solomon. You know what happened? Solomon lived out exactly the same way as his dad. He lived for himself. He had success in his lifetime, but he had no successor. He was considered the wisest king. His son was the most stupid king. How crazy is that? Solomon, the guy of wisdom, had a son who was an idiot. Why? Because there was no desire to see a legacy. There was no desire to see succession. There was only desire to see success. And let me put forward that for you men, part of this whole difficulty in having successes is that no one set you up for success. That might be a case. It might be the case that your dad has never set you up for success. But you get to stop this culture rot now. 
You get to stop it now. And so in the last five minutes that I have, I just want to, I just want to put forward to you that we need to have engaged and demonstrative dads. That's the kind of fatherhood that the Bible demonstrates. It's the kind of fatherhood that God demonstrates. It's the kind of fatherhood that we should demonstrate as part of our family. Wouldn't you love to be able to know that there's a place where that emotional hunger can properly be filled? And wouldn't you love it to be the church, the family that God has placed us in? I've been on this journey myself very recently over the last two months. God put on my heart at a conference that, that I want you to learn how to be a dad. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I mean, I got a fur baby. I love him. He's awesome. But Mowgli has got no call on his life. <laughs> I'm so sad about that. But Mowgli's not going to be president one day. He's not going to be earning me any money. He will probably die before me. I know it's true. And I've come to terms with it. But God said, you need to, be, you need to learn how to be a dad. And I, honestly, I was like, mm, I don't know. I spoke to Beck, and Beck said, yeah, yeah no, God's really told me about this. And I was like, okay, cool. So if Beck knows it, that means it's probably true. <laughs> because um, that's how it works in our relationship. I'm the thick one, and Beck's the one that normally gets the lightning bolts of wisdom from God. And <laughs> so I just go along with it and say, okay, let's do this. And so I approached, um, yeah, who God put on my heart. And it was, um, it was a little bit scary because I had never felt so vulnerable in my life. Oh, I'm a pastor, right? I stand in front of people. You don't scare me. But trying to say, I, I, I want to try to be a, a father figure to you, that's scary. And, um, and yeah, God put this on my heart. And he showed me that you need to learn how, how, how to do this. And, and so I approached this person. I said, yeah, let's, let's do this. And she graciously said yes. And, and Beck and I, uh, we talked about it. We talked about what it looked like. So I'm not just saying that you guys just got to any girl and say, I want to be your dad, because that's whack, okay? So don't, so don't do that. Like, have, have a good uh, praying wife that you can uh, be accountable to, which I do. And then so, and so we, we started to hang out. And, and I was just, I was like, what does this mean? What does being a dad mean? And it's exactly that. You just learn how to be engaged and demonstrative. Engaged and demonstrative. Not fixer and not answerer, not advisor, not... No, your advice isn't what makes you a dad. You can get advice from anywhere else. It's the engagement and demonstration that no one else should have in your child's life. Because if you don't fulfill that role, someone else is going to be engaged and demonstrative and not always in a loving way. And so I'm needing to learn how to be engaged and demonstrative. And let me tell you, girls are a mystery and they always will be. They always, I'm married and Beck's still a mystery. She came back from the conference yesterday. I haven't asked you for, for permission, but she came back from conference yesterday. It was such a great conference. And she started crying. I'm like, she said it was great. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> and same way, I've got another 18-year-old daughter who I don't like. Yeah, I don't know. How's it work? Is she okay with me? Does she like me? Does she not? Does she want me involved? Does she not? I don't know. Dads, you go through this on a daily basis. I feel for you. 
I don't have this person in my house, so I don't have to think about it sometimes, which is okay. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's a mystery. And I think that's a problem because it's such a mystery. Us guys, we like to know things for sure. and We like to make sure that all our boxes are in order and we know exactly how things work. We want to know that our advice is going to work. We want to know that our, our love is going to be accepted. We want to know all of these things, but parenting is, is a step into the unknown. And so, guys, you just need to man up, be engaged and demonstrative. Here's a little thing that I learned. You get to ask your kids once they get older. You don't ask a kid when they're three years old because like, like what I mean by ask is like, ask, how do you want to be loved? What would you like from me? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when you ask a three-year-old, they will ask for piggyback rides. And you can do that for a little while. And it's cool, but as they grow older and they get possibly, you know, every child goes through this phase where they stop talking to you. It's like they regress in their ability to communicate but still ask, how would you like me to love you? How would you like me to support you? And if they say, mm, they say okay, I'm going to ask you next week. <laughs> One day they will learn how to talk again. It's cool. It's life. But yeah, on this journey, it's, it's actually been such a blessing because I've learned that I don't have to be perfect. I've learned that I don't have all the answers. And yet I can still be engaged and demonstrative. And let me also just put forward to you women, you play such an important role for us as fathers. Why? Because your man is stronger than he even knows, but he's also weaker than he's willing to let you know. This is how guys work. Men, don't stone me, I'm helping you here. <laughs> this is scary. So I don't want to be rejected, and so it's easier for me to stay apart than to put myself in that space. It is. And so, women, you need to nurture men. You've got this God-given ability to nurture, and you nurture your kids. And we see that, and we see that quite often as parenting, but as nurturing together with what a father gives, together that's parenting. But you often bring a whole heap of nurturing. But you also need to nurture your man. And Beg's been a great example of that for me because she pushes me on. She, she says, yes, you can do that. Yes, that is great. I'm championing you on. It's like, that is a bad idea. And she helps me to know where those limits are and how these are supposed to work. And one of the things that you can do is that you can start asking your husband what do you think about this? Get their opinion. Maybe they're not ready to be fully engaged and fully demonstrative yet, but they still have an opinion. And you can draw out that opinion first, encourage them, and continue to nurture them as they step into those spaces so that they can be engaged and demonstrative. You know, there's a lot more stuff that I would love to talk about because this is just becoming so, so... Uh, important to me and, and in my journey as a person. And um, I'll blog about some of that this week. But this moment, I just want to, I just want to have a moment where we just value this position of fatherhood and to let you know we want you to be engaged. We want you to be demonstrative. 
We want you to say, I love you. We want you to say, I'm proud of you. We want you to say from time to time, it's going to be okay. We want you to be there, dads. We need you to be there. And quite often what your child needs is, is maybe a little bit different to what you think. As I had some conversations uh, with my um, daughter, figure, um, I said, what, what, what would you like? She said, I just want someone to, to talk to. That's not going to judge me. That is not going to rush to judgments over what is happening in my life. And that's hard for me. You know me, I'm fixing everything I see. Not in the house, I can't do that. <laughs> but in people's lives, that's the gift that God has given to me and also a bit of a weakness. And it's like, okay, so that's how I demonstrate love. Just listen. I was like, I think I can do that. And there's a journey that we need to become confident in over time. I'm more confident I, th now than I was two months ago when I started this journey. But I also know that there's a lot more that I need to learn and a lot more that I need to do. And there's this journey ahead of me. And it's cool. But can I just encourage you to start today? Dads, you can't take away your past. You can't take away yesterday. If you were uninvolved yesterday, that's just what it is. But you get a choice today, and you get a choice tomorrow, and you get a choice the day after. Engaging now is better than never engaging. Demonstrating now is better than never demonstrating. Can we get the band up this morning? In just a moment, I would love us to pray for the dads in the house. But right now, I do feel like there's a moment for people who maybe don't have a relationship with God because you feel that God is disengaged. And you feel like God has maybe always been disengaged in your life. And maybe to some extent, you saw how your dad relates to you and you related it to how God is. God's always been there. And it's just a matter of whether we recognize it or not. The turning point in my walk with God was when I recognized how passionately He was pursuing me. He had always been passionately pursuing me. It took me a moment in time when the scales fell off my eyes, if you like to use that saying, and I realized God loves me passionately. What I've been talking about Maybe for you, you're going, I, I actually want that. First and foremost, human beings will let you down, and we're going to try, but we will let you down. But God never does. And His grace is always abundant. He's able to take your desires and your hungers that no human being would truly able, be able to carry, and He's taken it. So this morning... I'd like to lead you into a prayer to invite God into your life. He's a father who loves desperately. He's a father who is engaged intimately. And he's a father who demonstrates his love. To see what God did for Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven. Before Jesus did anything in his life, he said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
That's the God that we serve. Before you do anything, He's already saying, this is my son. You are my son. You are my daughter. In you, I am well pleased. So if you would like to invite God into your life, why don't you say this prayer with me? Just repeat it after me. Dear God, dear Father, I invite you into my life. I see that I need you. And right now, I want you. Help me to see how you are involved in my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.